Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Anna Kabeka. Welcome to Couch Talk, which is an intimate place for intimate conversation to inspire pleasure and gratitude and rejuvenation. So I welcome you to enjoy this uh, podcast with my special guest today, Dr. Rita Marie Lascalzo. Um, introduce you to myself. I am an Emory-trained gynecologist and women's sexual and pelvic health expert. My website is quebecahealth.com, and my top programs are womensrestorativehealth.com and sexualcpr.com, and co-host and co-creator of Sexy Younger You Summit. So really super excited to have here today my special guest, Dr. Rita Marie Lascalzo, on a fascinating topic, one that we all want to hear more about, and that is how your belly fat and fatigue just might be related to your blood sugar. So uh, super excited to introduce Dr. Rita Marie. Great to have you here, Rita Marie. I am so excited to be here. Well, I want to tell um, our listeners a little bit about you. You um, have been an integrative practitioner for over two decades. Dr. Rita Marie is combining the best from modern functional medicine with the natural healing wisdom of fresh, raw foods and herbs. A chiropractic doctor certified in acupuncture, nutrition, herbal medicine, as well as a certified living food chef, instructor, coach, speaker, and author, Dr. Rita Marie's expertise lies in the holistic management of fatigue and hormone imbalance. She integrates biochemistry, nutrition, herbs, and the power of the mind to create a vibrant life filled with passion and purpose. So welcome, Dr. Rita Marie, and I have to tell our listeners that I have stalked you for years, um, <laughs> reading your emails, watching your information that you put out, and you seriously are a trailblazer in this field of integrative uh, medicine and functional medicine. Great to have you here today. Thank you so much. That's an awesome introduction, and I love the concept of you stalking me, so <laughs> keep it up. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely, and um, I want to—I would love for you to tell our listeners. I know we're going to learn about a lot of key things today uh, related to our sugar and how it brings us belly fat and burnout, and not to mention so many other illnesses. Um, tell us about how you've become so passionate about this topic. Well, yeah, it's a good story. I, over the years, I've just. Yeah, I've worked with a lot of people and working with a lot of different health challenges and the fatigue and the belly fat, and I started to see so many people who had, they were eating a pretty good diet, as standards go, and they were exercising, and they were relatively thin, but they had this roll of belly fat that they just couldn't get rid of, and they were exhausted, and they couldn't understand, like, what's going on, what's really going on. So I started to think about blood sugar and started to test their blood sugar. And, wow, I found out these amazing stories of people, they'd, they'd eat a salad and they'd put a handful of raisins on their salad and their blood sugar would shoot up to 210. And I had no idea because it was a beautiful salad with a handful of raisins. You know, and other people would be eating their healthy whole grains and their blood sugars would be shooting up. So I started really digging into the whole mechanism of, of the, the blood sugar and realized, well, whoa, that's why they had this belly fat and the fatigue. And, and they were stressed out, which 
further contributes to the belly fat and the fatigue. And I just started, I created a program, and my program is a five-step program, which I can tell you more about. But basically, I started taking these people through a process of getting each of the compartments of their life balanced and checking their blood sugar while we did it to make sure that everything that we were doing was keeping their blood sugar into a tight range that the body wants. And then, lo and behold, I decide I'm going to teach this to a group. So I decide I'm going to do a group program, take what I've done with these individuals and help this large group of people. We get like 110 people signed up for my first program, and I wanted to create a video for them on how to test your blood sugar. So I had to get a new blood sugar meter for myself and said, okay, I'm just going to test my blood sugar. And I said, well, let me just see what happens after I eat this bowl of pineapple. And so, lo and behold, I test my blood sugar after eating this this bowl of pineapple, organic, beautiful pineapple, and I watched my blood sugar. I took it after about five minutes because, of course, I'm impatient and want to see what's happening. (laughs) Most people don't take it that often, but five minutes later, it was up to like 130. I'm like, oh, it must be a mistake. There must be something wrong with this meter. So I'd just taken it before, and it was like 68 or 70 or something. So I'm like, we can't jump up that quickly. I just ate a little bit of pineapple. And so I do it again five minutes later, and it's continuing to go up and up and up until it peaked at 167 about 45 minutes after I ate the pineapple, which is a huge wallop in blood sugar, as you know, and maybe the listeners don't quite know. But you really want to keep your your fasting blood sugar is going to be in the 80s. Mine has been, I always had really good fasting blood sugar. Mine was like 68, and it jumped up 100 points inside of 45 minutes. And that was an eye-opener for me, like, wait a minute, how can I have this problem? I'm teaching people how to overcome. It's, it's crazy. I don't work the part. I don't have the belly fat. I don't have the brain fog. I'm not tired. I have more energy than anybody I know. And I've been eating this really great whole foods diet for 25 years. Oh, my God, what's wrong? So then I realized, you know, the components of the program, which I'll share with you how, I, how you can manage your blood sugar. But one of the things is sleep. So, yeah, I was eating great, and, yes, I was, I was um, doing my stress management, and, yes, I was exercising, but there were two areas that I teach that are important for blood sugar balancing that I wasn't doing, and one was getting a good night's sleep because I thought, I don't need a good night's sleep. I eat well. I have lots of energy. I'm fine. And number two was timing. You know, I would always be up late, so I'd have a little snack at midnight and that sort of stuff, and I realized how important those things are and that the five steps were super important to follow to get the to get this thing under control and so that began my journey to like not only be oh yeah i'm teaching this stuff but i am like super passionate about helping people to figure out if their fatigue and belly fat is indeed related to their blood sugar Oh, and I think that's fantastic. Isn't it funny how we're led to solve our own problems? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, I, I also, you know, I'm always at awe that I'm like, you know, God, I really am very empathetic. I don't need to experience everything firsthand. Right? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, okay. so good. I'm glad I'm not the only one, Rita Marie. <laughs> <laughs> the wake-up call. <laughs> wake-up call. And, and many of our listeners probably are like, huh, you know, I wonder if that's me. You know, I wonder if that's what's going on with me. So how would you tell them to, um, what are some of the signs and symptoms that you can describe that um, 
could give them the indication that that's them too. Yeah, so so here's the thing. Um, first of all, if you feel like, you know, you're going to the gym and you're working out and there's just that extra five pounds or ten pounds you can't get rid of, or 25 or 100, of course, but those people, it's obvious, you know. But if it's more subtle, it's that extra just little bit of roll around the middle that won't go away or that 4 o'clock in the afternoon slump or that craving for sweets, even after you've just eaten a big meal. Those are some of the telltale signs. And so I wasn't looking. I didn't have really the extra fat, and I really didn't get the, the slump, but the craving for something sweet. It was always like, okay, what can I have sweet? So what's happy that I can have sweet? Oh, I'll have a bowl of pineapple, or let me have some almond butter and dates. So I wasn't relating that that was my blood sugar talking to me, my blood sugar imbalance, my cells that were not able to take in the sugar I was feeding them, saying, uh, I think we have a problem here. So there's subtle signs like that, you know, hard to get up first thing in the morning, but definitely that, especially after dinner, I just need a snack, I just need dessert. That's some of the subtle stuff. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I completely agree. So definitely cravings for sweet, weight loss resistance, difficulty yep. losing weight. Also circumstances, right? Like we know certain, certain things can trigger our fat switch on. And yep. we want to turn our, you know, metabolism spin switch on. And so stress and, and some other things that can um, be a really big component that's a transient a transient issue in your life, the hormone imbalance, the toxins, yeah, etc. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and the sleep too. That's the biggie. That can be a transient issue, or it could be a yeah. long-term issue. So the, as I started researching into sleep and belly fat, I looked into. I, I discovered a lot of studies. I mean, these were like Harvard studies, and these were in major medical journals that showed that even one night of poor sleep can create a an insulin resistance the next day. So so I started to look at that, like, okay, sometimes people do have to stay up. Like they have a colicky child, they have somebody that's in the hospital, and you lose your sleep. It helps you to be more careful about what you put in your body the next day because your body won't be able to handle sugar at all because of the temporary insulin resistance. But you add that to, like for me, you know, six years of babies being up all night. I only had two, but (laughs) only two, not six. But each of them didn't sleep through the night until they were three. So I I had six years of just never sleeping at night. Right, and I was always the stay up late and study person in college too. Right, let's just wait for the last minute and do it between midnight and three. And now that you know, with my own business and stuff, and trying to balance that with a family, I would stay up late because that's when I would get my second wind. And so years and years and many many years of this poor sleep created a problem I didn't know I had, which was really scary for me because. I have no old people in my family. Like, when you look at your family, you think about old Aunt Sally and, you know, Grandpa uh-huh. over here. There are no people in my family above the age of 65. None. Okay? So I was looking around and seeing, like, well, how did they die? They died of, like, sudden heart attacks. They weren't obese. They hadn't been diagnosed, but they died of sudden heart attacks. And then as I started to look at what does your blood sugar do to your blood vessels, good good way to look at it is, you know, we know that diabetes contributes to heart disease, 
but do we know that pre-diabetes and pre-pre-diabetes contributes? And yes, indeed it does. Because what happens is when we eat the standard American diet, even the standard American quote-unquote health food diet that has a lot of processed has sugars and grains and a lot of processed food, there it's causing this major like stress on our body's ability to handle blood sugar. It's like, okay, pancreas, we just ate this huge sugar load, produce insulin so we could get this out of the blood and into the tissues where it belongs so we can make energy. But over time, that mechanism breaks. I mean, it just outright breaks. And the pancreas says, yeah, 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 I'm going to keep producing insulin. And the cells say, enough of you, insulin. I've had enough. I can't handle any more sugar. And plus, you just keep shouting at me, so I'm not listening anymore. And they put their hands over their ears. And so that's my, like, you know, personification of insulin receptors is there's these little kids that just don't want to hear the shouting anymore, and they have their hands over their ears, and they won't let the sugar in. And so the sugar builds up and builds up in the system. And then the body says, well, you know, this is dangerous to have these high levels of sugar because it can coat the blood sugar. It could coat the um, red blood cells. There's all kinds of stuff that can happen that's bad with high levels of sugar. And so it's, okay, let's just store it. And so we just store it as fat. Like, okay, we'll get it back later. And let's put it around the belly because it's a convenient place to do it. Lots of white adipose tissue there. Good place to store it. So all this this sugar gets stored as fat. Meanwhile, the insulin receptors are going, nope, sorry, nope, sorry, I'm not taking it in. You feel exhausted. You're eating all this food. You feel exhausted. Of course you're still hungry after a meal because the sugar goes to your fat cells instead of to your muscle cells and and your organs to create energy. And you're just like, "I, I can't deal with it. But here's the ripper that I wasn't aware of until I started really digging into this is that all of these cells become insulin resistant to protect themselves from the damages of high levels of insulin. And the blood, the, vest, the lining of your blood vessels, the endothelium, it's called, it's a, it's a layer of protective cells in the blood vessels, they don't become insulin resistant so, because we need to have, they need to be energized. And so what happens is that they get stiff. The, the insulin, the high levels of insulin over time create a stiffness. And so that your blood vessels are not flexible. And so you can't really respond real well to a sudden, like, need to run or, or a sudden stress. And so it creates this, this, this stiffening, and then we get damage to the lining from the processed foods that we're eating and the processed fats, and eventually we get the formation of plaque in the vessels and heart attack. And that's what happened to both my parents, sudden death from heart attack. My mom at the age of 55 and my dad at the age of 62. And if, you, if I looked at them, they, hadn't, they didn't have any diagnoses at the doctors, but they did have signs of chronic inflammation as I look back. And they had that role of belly fat even though they were thin. So I looked and said, I'm not going there. i got to get this under control. You know, uh, Dr. Rita Marie said some really important things, and the research is just now, you know, with our ability to really evaluate the um, endothelium of blood vessels, we identified the ciliolite, it's called the glycocalyx, and it's destroyed by inflammation, it's destroyed by sugar. And so where normally your catecholamines would cause vasodilation, et cetera, when the glycocalyx is destroyed, the endothelial lining, so the inside layer of the blood vessel 
remains exposed, and that then creates vasoconstriction, hence decreased loss of blood flow, hence heart attack. And, um, and, and that's really a significant finding, and, and that's what we're seeing with damage after damage. We can have, we need time to recover, and hence why many people have recommended intermittent fasting, et cetera, but we need to recover and improve the glycocalyx. It's no different than, or in my brain, I make the analogy to the filial lining in the um, respiratory system in our lungs, in, the, in our, um, in our uh, air passageways or the cilia. So the cilia lining of the alveoles even, it is, is damaged when we smoke or we're exposed to smoke and that deadens it, right? And then we're more exposed to, you know, um, damage, hardening, et cetera. The glycocalyx is our protection and it's damaged by sugar. So that is a huge red flag. And, and Rita Marie, you're a beautiful, thin, fit woman. So let's talk about why we see an epidemic of belly fat even among thin people because we call that, you know, with a sarcopenia. Because yeah. we can have someone like a, a sumo wrestler who has conditioned their body to have um, belly fat but not visceral belly fat, you know, fat around the organ. But we have thin people with maybe not so much fat um, above the muscle, like but they have fat all around their organs. Around their organs. And that's the most dangerous kind, right? Because it's, it's affecting the organ function. And so the reason is that, well, first of all, there's, there's a number of reasons, but I think the combination of a stressful lifestyle and not really having good coping tools and constantly having tigers chasing us 24-7, what that does to us is it creates excess blood sugar. What people don't realize is that every time you get stressed out, your blood sugar is going up probably just as much as it would if you ate a candy bar. I call that the candy bar eating effect of stress. And I've seen it firsthand. I remember one time getting, like, I usually am really good at staying cool and calm and I have these great techniques, but it was just like, you know, this build up and I just started yelling at my husband. Of course, the husbands always get the brunt of it. Started yelling at my husband and I couldn't stop myself. And after I, I was like, oh my God, what did you just do? I bet your blood sugar is like through the roof. And so I tested my blood sugar and it was 158. And I said, just like I ate a candy bar, but I didn't have the fun of eating a candy bar. So it's that combination of having had of having eaten candy bars probably my whole life up until I learned to, to do better that created this issue with blood sugar management and then the constant barrage of stress that most people feel all the time. That creates that belly fat and it creates it's almost like it's a protection. Right? It's a protection against our organs. Somebody quoted it. I, I haven't been able to verify if this is scientifically valid, but that think about this. If you've got a tiger chasing you and they want to take a bite out of you, you want to protect your organs, so surround them with fat. And so that's why we have that protective fat over the organs, kind of the visceral fat, as, as we call it, uh, can, that happens with stress. And so it's the same thing when you get stressed as if you've eaten, you know, foods that are high in sugars. Cause it's supposed to be real well controlled, right? You eat food, the blood sugar goes up, the pancreas says, hey, produce it, the beta cells go out there and produce the insulin, the insulin takes the, the 
sugar escorts it across the cell walls. Everybody's fine and dandy, and then, you know, things settle down until the next meal, and there's some really great mechanisms that the body has using glucagon and insulin in between meals because I don't care how long you've gone without food. You shouldn't feel that hyper-irritable, cranky stuff because the body has built-in mechanisms to manage the blood sugar. It's only when we don't have those mechanisms working real well that we end up having the problems and that irritable crankiness, which, by the way, is a, a precursor. People don't realize that that's a precursor to things like insulin resistance and, and diabetes, that irritability between meals. They call it hypoglycemia, but it's really it's in the spectrum of the diseases that lead to diabetes. Mm-hmm. And that's just so significant to understand. It's that especially that the individuals who have reactive hypoglycemia have to eat slow carbs, have to eat high protein and healthy fats, yep. and, you know, golf ball size portion of carbs because otherwise they're going to get that really high insulin reaction. That's how their body's been trained. Our body's yep. been trained. Yep. And, um, and that over time, create this insulin resistance and absolutely absolutely so dr marie let's talk about the symptoms review the um you know uh, panorama of symptoms that result from blood sugar imbalance and insulin resistance well the belly fat is key i mean it's really key even though you know, not everybody gets it. It is a, it, Most people do. There's an epidemic of it. The reason I didn't develop it is because I was so fastidious about everything else. You know, my food was really good. I wasn't eating the trans fats. I was eating good stuff. I wasn't eating processed food. I was eating pineapple was my big treat, right? So, but the belly fat is, is key, especially in a thin person. Like, they're like, why do I have this muffin top coming over my thing? But low energy after meals is really key. Like, you should be energized after you eat. Like, oh, great, I just got a refresh, and my body's just starting to use the sugars and, and everything I put in and make me energy. And, uh, well, it don't really happen that way. If you have low energy after meals, it means that it's it, the, the sugar is sitting in your bloodstream, not able to get where it needs to go. It's either sitting in your bloodstream or being stored as fat. And then hunger after a full meal. So you just eat this big meal. It's It's got plenty of calories nice balance of food, and you're starving after you eat it and you're looking for more. Usually you're looking for sweets, right? You're like, oh, I want something sweet uh, after a full meal. So that's another classic sign. Um, Another one is that mid-afternoon energy slump. And it's usually because we've eaten this big old lunch and it causes a big influx of sugar into the system and then the insulin comes in and just moves all that sugar into the fat cells because it can't get them into the regular cells, or if you're still not insulin resistant or you're on the way, some of it might go in. But you get that energy slump because your body's like, I just, I, just, I don't have any energy. I, it, everything's been moved into the fat cells, and I'm left here with this slump. And it's usually, people always say it's like 3 and 4 in the afternoon. It's usually within a couple, few hours after eating a big meal at, at lunch. Um, the difficulty focusing is big. And People call it brain fog. People call it ADD, difficulty focusing. But you see that a lot with kids in school. But you also see it a lot with adults who just are like, my brain is just so foggy, I can't think straight. And when I was starting to research, like, why are we getting this? I started to think about the fact how we were taught in school, which isn't really right, and they're finding out it's not right. We were told in, when I was going through school was that 
the brain didn't really need insulin, that it had the mechanism of just pulling the glucose out of the bloodstream and utilizing it directly. So you didn't really get insulin resistance in the brain. But in fact, we're finding that that's not true. And actually, a lot of researchers are starting to call Alzheimer's insulin resistance of the brain or even type 3 diabetes which is that, you know, difficulty with short-term memory, and there's all sorts of, of brain-type things that happen with the memory. So that difficulty focusing has to do with either insulin resistance of the brain, but also with those fluctuations when people are in the earlier stages where the sugar goes way up and then it comes way down. And there's just not enough glucose in the blood if you're in a hypo, hypoglycemic or a reactive hypoglycemic state. And then the last one, which people don't realize they have insulin or pre-insulin resistance, is when they're cranky and irritable if they miss a meal. They say, oh, no, I don't have problems with my blood sugar going too high. I have hypoglycemia. But the truth of the matter is nobody should be cranky and irritable if you miss a meal. Yeah, you should be hungry if you miss a meal. And maybe, you know, you start to feel a little bit more um, tired and in need of a thing. But to be cranky and irritable and snappy and not able to control the, that's not a good. That's not a good sign, and that's not a healthy sign. You shouldn't have to eat every two hours. We're set up to be able to maintain the blood sugar for hours and hours and hours and hours, if need be, and even days. And when we look at things like intermittent fasting, which you mentioned in passing before, they find that that is one of the best ways to reset insulin receptors and restore the mechanism. So those are the main signs and symptoms. And there are others, but these are the ones that I look for. I have a whole, you know, two-page presentation or, or a checklist that I have people fill out to see, you know, what the deal is and if they ha- are you know, probably subject to or a candidate for working on insulin resistance. Yeah, I, I think that that's such an incredible good point because we think, okay, wait, you know, where did that you know, monster in me come from? You know, what, what happened to me? I was fine one minute and now I'm just like flying off the handle or I'm on edge. And yes. I think, okay, you know, our tank's empty, number one. We need to nourish ourselves, uh, fill our tank, fill a neurotransmitter, and we use our fuel as primary nourishment. So it's to really consider that and, and, and take a pause, okay, you know, your behavior is a result of your biology. So what is going on with the biology and, um, and, and what can you do to fill that? So let's talk about some of the causes of blood sugar imbalance and um, insulin resistance. Let's go over some key causes. Yeah, I would like to go through some of those. And, you know, one of the things, people always want to blame their genes for everything. And in fact, with insulin resistance, there is a strong gene component. There are certain markers that I tend to have um, that will tend to make you more prone to having insulin resistance. Now, just because we have the genes doesn't mean they have to manifest. But if you if you take the genes and you combine it with the other things we're going to talk about, then you get the manifestation. So genes are part of it. And some and what I've what I've researched and read is that. If you look at the spectrum of the population, there's about 25% of the population that is going to be, have to be uber super careful about their sugars in the, because they have a high tendency towards insulin resistance. There's another 25% at the other end who are like, yeah, just feed them sugar all day long and they're probably not going to develop a problem with it. 
And then there's the most of us in between or most people in between where, you know, certain things, stresses and, and lifestyle and the diet and all, they're going to bring it out. But And you will develop it if you're abusive in your lifestyle, but probably won't if, if you just take good precautions. So there's that genetic component there. But you have to take the genes and you have to combine them with the choices, the lifestyle choices. So nutrient imbalances are critical and key. And the issue is that for most of us, I don't know about you, but I was raised on Wonder Bread and, you know, Ronzoni pasta and, you know, peanut butter and jelly and a few canned vegetables and not a whole lot else in terms of good nutrition. So I took this genetic tendency and then these early exposures, and I developed lots of nutrient imbalances, right? I had lots of issues, issues with my menstrual periods, which nobody told me at that time had to do with nutrition, but looking mm-hmm. back, know that it did, you know, cravings and overeating and binge eating and all this sort of stuff, and sinus problems, you know, the whole gambit of quote-unquote normal childhood illnesses, which I think are mostly related to nutritional imbalances. So you get them, and what happens over time is if you're constantly feeding the sugars, the high-sugar foods and the carbs, and putting a stress on the insulin system, your body needs certain nutrients to shuttle the sugar with the insulin into the cells. So it's not just enough to have the insulin in the bloodstream. You have to have the right nutrition to help shuttle the sugar into the cells. And there's a couple of nutrients that are critical that get very depleted with those kinds of dietary indiscretions. And one of them is chromium and one of them is magnesium. And there are a whole host of others, but those are the two that that stand out for me as very commonly deficient in our society and very important. Chromium is very depleted in the soil. It's, It's not real easy to get in foods because of soil depletion. And it's critical, and one of its only functions, the only function that we've really been able to see that's a major function for chromium is to shuttle sugar into the cells along with insulin to help the insulin get the sugar into the cells. So just think if you're over time, you're eating lots of sugar, lots of starches like I did, the Ronzoni and the and the uh, Wonder Bread and the Kool-Aid, right? My, my, whatever little chromium I had in my body was long depleted. So it made it really difficult for my body to get the sugar into the cells. So chromium is critical. And magnesium, right? Where do we get magnesium? You know that, right? All the greens mm-hmm. and your the, mm-hmm. the wonderful foods that we teach people to eat. I didn't know about that when I was little. I didn't ever eat salad. We ate a few green beans out of a can. That was my vegetable. So certainly I was deficient in magnesium. And this is very true. It's one of the most common deficiencies in our society today. So no wonder people are getting insulin resistant, right? We're eating a ton of carbohydrate foods and we're not providing the nutrients the body needs to to use them. Okay? Yeah, so so key. Yeah. We think about birth control pills, reduce our magnesium and B vitamins and and NSAIDs and disrupt our digestion, and those are the common things used to treat hormone imbalance related to the menstrual cycle. Right. And so we haven't addressed the underlying cause, which is the nutritional imbalance, and um, 
get into this several, you know, a whole other topic for discussion. But whole other topic, um, and yeah, and the B yeah. vitamins you mentioned, yes, that's critical as well. The B vitamins are super critical, not as much for getting them across the, although some of them are important there. But once the sugars enter the cell, you got to go through the Krebs cycle and turn it into energy before you can use it. And the B vitamins are critical there, as well as good amino acids. And when we, we see people who are just not getting enough protein, not because they're not eating enough protein in many cases, it's because they're not digesting their protein because of low stomach acid or poor digestive function. So all of these things play in hugely. I mean, we, we, we can only give you a little overview today, but there's, there's huge, um, a huge body of evidence that nutritional imbalances are key in restoring insulin resistance. Uh, restoring, recovering from insulin resistance. Absolutely. So what is the third key um, cause of blood sugar imbalance that you find? I find stress is big, you know, for a number of reasons. Stress does deplete the B vitamins. It depletes the, the magnesium. But stress, as we said before, cortisol that gets produced in, in a stressful situation, it's kind of that long-term stress. Adrenaline gives us that high, that, wow, yeah, great, I can pick up the car and throw it in the, in the other direction and then I crash. But cortisol maintains that. It maintains the, the elevated blood pressure. It turns off the digestion. It does all sorts of things to the system. And one of the things it does is it increases the blood sugar because when you're under stress, you're needing to be running away from hungry predators, right? So you need to have all of the sugar that you can mobilize to get to your extremities so that you can take off and run fast. But when we're sitting at our desks doing about, you know, the latest news that we heard about the latest earthquake over here or the uh, economy over there or how am I going to get my kids to their things on time, that stress triggers its same reaction in the body as if we had a hungry tiger chasing us. And when we have a hungry tiger chasing us, it's fine to mobilize blood sugar because you're going to use it to get away from that tiger. But if you're sitting at your desk and you're mobilizing blood sugar, and by the way, cortisol, when it mobilizes blood sugar, it prefers muscle. It prefers to break down protein instead of of fat. It's easier for it. So it goes to muscle store mm-hmm. and it goes and breaks down some of the muscle. So I always tell people if you if you want to have a surefire way of creating belly fat is get stressed and then sit at your desk stressing out because you're going to turn your thigh muscles into belly fat in no time. Right? So that's one of the reasons. And so the high level of, of sugar is as if you just ate a whole bunch of bad stuff, sugary stuff, and but you're not burning it off. So that's another big key. And one of the things as we teach people how to manage all this is, you know, some stress management techniques. If you can't not get, you'll work on not getting so stressed out and and transforming that. But once you do get stressed out, don't just sit at your desk. Use that energy. Go run up and down the stairs. Do some bursts. Do some squats at your desk. Go for a walk. Just burn up that energy when you get stressed out to prevent some of the blood sugar imbalances that are going to ensue over time. Right. And our, our brain is amazingly capable of changing our perception of our stress. So we can, yeah. you know, take that moment to, you know, pause, take a deep breath. But I always give the example of, um, you know, the experience that we have. Two people can experience the same thing and have two completely different reactions. Yeah. For example, if you're sitting in the highway and all of a sudden there's a traffic jam and and you can, you know, one person in the car is is banging his steering wheel and saying, oh, my gosh, I'm late and it's, you know, 
about, you know, uh, what do you call it, honking the horn and just getting totally furious with us. And the other person's like, oh, okay, let me listen to some music. Let me call someone I love. Let me just yep. chill out. You know, getting upset's not going to make any difference. Yep. Um, get there when I get there. You know, it's it, it, the physiology of the way we think is yep. entirely different. Absolutely. And um, our perceived control, our perceived stresses, our ability of our brain, and it's a discipline and a practice, y'all. It's a discipline and a practice yes. to really create another perspective on it. And Absolutely. that makes a big difference to put a twist and a sense of humor on it, to say, okay, well, let me scope out all these other people in the cars, you know. So, um, uh, and it is, it's a challenge, and there's sometimes in a situation you you find it very, very difficult, but um, it, it's amazing what ability the brain has to uh, affect our physiology. And so as you were talking about stress and sitting down, I totally stood up to be at my standing desk. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Do some yeah. squats while we're having this conversation. I'll join you. Exactly. I know if I start breathing hard, no. <laughs> then you know that you're getting your heart rate up and burning some of that sugar. Yeah, and you, know, you made a really good point is the perspective, and that's why I spend a lot of time, you know, we do in my um, in my programs when I work with people, whether it's one-on-one or in a group, we spend a lot of time teaching them the methods of retraining and, and refocusing and, and managing the stress. But we also teach, like, you know, when you get in that stressful situation, do something active to to dissipate the negative effects on it because it will it will contribute to insulin resistance for sure. Absolutely. That's that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And it's incredible as a doctor that you're incorporating these into programs because it's, I mean, that's, you know, better than anything we can write on a prescription pad. Oh, let's absolutely. Talk about, yeah, let's talk about the effect of lack of exercise and or too much exercise. Or too much, yeah. So lack of exercise is the most, the one we see the most. We see people who are just, they're just not moving. And trained muscle has much more power to utilize insulin. So it, it, it helps the muscles to utilize the insulin to take the sugar in, whereas untrained muscles become very resistant. So if you want to get your muscles so that they can utilize the sugar in your system, you just get them moving. You get them moving, yay. And when they move, they're going to start burning this sugar. But on the other extreme, the too much, if you exercise to a point where it becomes really stressful on your body, and that's going to differ from person to person. One person might be able to go and, you know, sprint um, down the street, and that's fine, and the other person does that, and they fall on their face. That's too much. Uh, the lack of, the too much exercise can trigger a stress response, which causes cortisol to start burning your muscles instead of having that nice, you know, in pace, okay, we need more sugar, let's burn it type of thing. So the too much exercise is a problem because it stresses the adrenals and, and creates this cortisol response. Yeah, so exercise is key. What I find most helpful is bursting. I find that if, if I get people to do like 30 seconds of like really intense exercise several times throughout the day, that's a really great place for somebody to start who isn't exercising. And that could be as simple as running up and down your stairs or picking up a, you know, a bag of something. I have a little weight, a 10-pound um, medicine ball that I keep near my stairs. And when I go up and down the stairs, I'll just carry that thing and go back and forth, back and forth until I'm like, oh, I'm done. And that's a short burst of exercise that you can fit into your daily life to help with overcoming the, the problem of untrained muscle not being very insulin receptive. 
Yeah, and that's when you realize how long 30 seconds really is. Uh, you do, don't you? It's like, is it really only 20 seconds? Is it really only 25? Yeah, but it's so powerful. I mean, studies have shown that when you do 30 seconds of all-out exercise, you get the effect on growth hormone, which is an insulin inhibitor, by the way, growth hormone um, that you would in half an hour of aerobics. So not to say that the aerobics aren't good because the aerobics, you need that for your heart and for your blood system and all that, but that 30 seconds is going to elevate growth hormone, and growth hormone helps you to burn fat, and growth hormone helps you to put down lean muscle. So it's really, really um, a critical piece. Right, right, and helps you get better sleep, which is um, your fit, you know, the fit cause. Yeah, so the, the other one is the poor sleep. And like I said, the studies are really clear, evidence over and over again that even one night of poor sleep, you know, and, and that's defined as under, well, it depends on the person. That could be defined as under nine hours for some people. You know, there were some interesting studies. They took a guy who had clear insulin resistance, which meant that from a medical perspective, he showed up as his blood sugar was in the, like, 118, 119, so really close to being diagnosed as diabetes. <clears throat> You're talking about the fasting blood sugar when he first got up in the morning. So they did this experiment, and they started putting him on a regime of getting nine hours of sleep every night. And within three or four days, his fasting blood sugar was below 100. It was in the 90s. Still not ideal, but it was below 100. And then he had a night where he couldn't get the nine hours. Two nights in a row he got, guess what, eight hours of sleep. And his, his sugar started climbing up again. So for this guy, he needed nine hours of sleep to maintain a steady state with his insulin uh, sensitivity. For others, it might be lower. But the, the thing is that the average person is getting under six hours of sleep, and that's clearly not enough to maintain good insulin support. Yeah, absolutely. And we want to um, get seven and a half to you know nine hours, yep. and, and do what we can to create a lifestyle that supports that. Around that, there's no glory okay. in sleep deprivation. And I'm you know OBGYN, and you know for how many years in practice as a solo OBGYN. Oh, uh, recognize that, um, you know, it, it, it took a long time to actually still, um, a process and a practice in dedicating uninterrupted sleep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. It, absolutely. You yeah. know, the other thing I want to mention with the sleep is because there's, we, we have a module in my, my blood sugar balancing program that we call the, the hormones that dance in your sleep. And that during sleep, there's this, there's this just amazing wealth of hormonal activity that's happening and the hormones just need to be you know doing their little dance with each other so that when you wake up you're refreshed you're restored your blood sugar is is you know where it needs to be at a good fasting level and your leptin levels come out um, your leptin levels create the sense of satiety in the body and when we don't get enough sleep our leptin levels are too low and we end up craving food the next day. On the other hand, people who have a lot of fat storage will end up getting leptin resistance and still craving food. But, but the sleep is critical, and I find that for myself. If I have gotten a poor night's sleep, you know, I've stayed up, I've worked hard, I've only gotten two to three, four hours of sleep that night, I am starving the whole day through. It doesn't matter what, I'm just constantly wanting to eat, and I think it's because the leptin levels get thrown off. 
So sleep is critical for maintaining good hormone balance, for maintaining good blood sugar, for detoxification and cleansing, for adding lean muscle mass and burning fat, critical that we get good sleep. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So everyone listening, you know, really make time for your sleep hygiene, good sleep habits, your nighttime ritual um, so that you can dedicate that time to get good sleep and then try not using an alarm clock to wake up and um, deal what that feels like for a while. Yeah, and let your body go that long. Can I add one more thing? Because I realized that that overarching on all of this is super important, and it was one that was disruptive for me, even though I knew better. And it has to do with the timing of everything. So if you eat right before you go to bed, chances are good you're not going to get a good night's sleep because your body's spending its precious repair and rebuild and regrow time towards digesting the food. And especially if you eat a a food that is high in carbohydrate and it's going to cause an insulin surge. And the thing that people don't realize is insulin will suppress growth hormone. And growth hormone is what helps us repair. Growth hormone is what helps us to burn some of the lean and put down the, the, um, the burn some of the fat and put down the lean. I, was, I caught myself half sentence and go, what? That didn't make sense. But the, um, the thing is, like, if you're exercising, if you're somebody who goes out there and you lift weights and you're wondering why you're not getting any muscle as a result, it could be that your growth hormone levels have been interfered with by your dietary habits. And so when we eat right before going to bed, it suppresses the growth hormone surge that naturally happens within the first hour of sleep. And that's our peak growth hormone surge. That's where, like, the the juice is. So they say get to bed before midnight. That's where the juice happens. That's where the really good stuff happens. And if you eat right before you go to bed, you suppress that. And you're going to decrease the amount of cleansing that happens during the night, you're going to wake up groggy the next day and not handling blood sugars real well. So timing is super important, and I teach a whole bunch of different timing things, but, you know, the relationship of t- food and exercise, the, re- the space between the meals, where's, where's what the magic happens in the fasting state, and a whole lot more. But the timing is critical. I couldn't agree more. And I think there, you know, are times where, and it depends on what it is when we're eating at night, because sometimes find that, you know, um, some almond butter, you know, some slow carbs, some sweet potato at night, something like that will help people um, break through the, you know, depending on their tired and wired or cortisol pattern, a 3 a.m., 4 a.m. cortisol peak. And um, what, what do you suggest for that? Well, I I say that that's a temporary solution, and as you're working on managing and balancing this whole blood sugar mechanism, that goes away. So, yeah, that's a temporary measure that if you – somebody's waking up at 3, 4 in the morning, and we believe it's related to cortisol spiking. It could be because the blood sugar has gone low and the body's trying to bring the blood sugar up. It could be not related to that as well. So I always investigate. I ask people questions about their history of trauma and, you know, did their parents fight in the middle of the night? Was there ever a break-in in the middle of the night? Was there, was there an abuse situation? You know, is the, did their sleep start to get disrupted like that after, you know, six years of babies waking up at 3 in the morning? It took me a year before I didn't wake up even after they were sleeping. My body just wanted to wake up at those times. 
and I had to retrain it that, no, there's no baby, <laughs> there's no baby crying, they're good, and go back to sleep. So you have to look at why they're waking up in the middle of the night. But, yeah, if it is because the blood sugar is plummeting and then the body's trying to bring it back up, having something like, you know, almond butter or coconut or something like that right before bed could help that. But, again, it's a stopgap measure, and I don't think it's a long-term solution. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Now, um, let's talk about uh, revving up our metabolic engine using our fork. Uh Yes. Um, (laughs) I love that. Rev up, because that's what we want. We want to improve. Okay, so we know what our disruptors are. We know what some of our symptoms are. And so let's let's go to solutions. Let's get our energy um, reboosted. Let's fill our tanks and... Let's get our blood sugar balanced so we're not dropping our energy all during the day. Absolutely, absolutely. So there's certain foods that will rev up the engine and certain foods that will break down the engine, right? And so foods that trigger fat storage we've already talked about, right, the sugars. People think I have to avoid fat, you know, because fat is going to make me fat. And in reality, you're more likely to put on fat and store fat when you're eating high-carbohydrate meals. And I'm talking, you know, the, the, the pastas, the breads, the, the sugary stuff, all the processed foods, the crackers and all that, the chips. Those kind of things will leave you exhausted. So what you want to do is look at foods that jumpstart the fat burning. And I always tell people that it's really important to start the day with some protein. And the reason is that our cortisol levels are highest first thing in the morning. When the cortisol levels are high, guess what? They're trying to bring your blood sugar up, which makes sense because you're waking up. You want it to be at a level that's good. But if the cortisol is, is um, up and it goes to burn, it's going to go for your protein stores unless you provide it with the protein right there. So you can preserve your muscles by having a little bit of protein. It doesn't have to be bacon and eggs. I, I, I do, um, I've been vegan for like 30 years. I don't do bacon and eggs, but I have a high-protein breakfast. And what does that consist of? Well, I make these smoothies or shakes, and I'll put some protein powders or hemp seeds in there or you know, some other nuts and seeds that are higher in protein mixed in with, I like to start with greens because they are very high in, in um, protein. So having some kind of green shake, your Mighty Maca is awesome, right? You can put the, some Mighty Maca in with some, some kale or some spinach and blend it on up, um, and bring up the, the levels. I use chia. My first thing in the morning, I'll have like a chia porridge where I soak chia seeds and then put either, you know, some sort of a, a nut milk or, or hemp milk or something like that on it, or I make some cashew yogurt, which has got a good protein source. And it's also got good fats. So I think that having a good source of protein and fat in the morning and kind of leaving the carbs behind, you know, the, the toast and the orange juice and the cereals, those are not good at breakfast, but finding substitutes for those that would be higher in protein. That's my bet. And, you know, just having a really great vegetable. Some people will have fish and vegetables for breakfast, and that works. You know, for me, it's like these green drinks and some chia and hemp seeds and things like that. So having a really good start the day, because if you start the day with the carbs, you're going to crave them all day long mm-hmm. because your body can't keep keep it keep your blood sugar going. Yeah. I want to pause on the Mighty Maca because I, I love that you've introduced Mighty Maca to other, so many other healthcare practitioners. I just want to... Um, you to share with our audience what you found using Mighty Maca and um, why you recommend it. 
Well, it's so loaded with everything. You've put, you've thought of everything in there. So it's not just maca. You've got enzymes in there. You've got other herbs. You've got blended um, dehydrated foods and stuff. So it's a great way to get a, an abundance of green energy, chlorophyll and green energy, plus the maca itself, it's an awesome herb for the endocrine system. You know, it helps to re- with adrenal fatigue. It's an adrenal adaptogen. It helps with reproductive hormones. So it's just an amazing blend, and it's easy. That's what I like. You know, I could just, I love those little packets because mm-hmm. I throw a whole bunch of those in my suitcase when I travel. So if I'm at the airport and I'm like, oh, my plane is delayed and I don't have access to food, I buy a bottle of water and put one of those in there. And I love them because they're thin and they fit right into the hole. Did you design that on purpose, that they fit into yes. the hole of the bottles? So yes, it's a real, exactly. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that's what I love about it. It's really portable. So it's green food on the run, plus those extra adrenal adaptogens to help us in maintaining that steady state throughout the day. Thank you. Thank you. You know, my, our audience is used to hearing it from me, so it's nice to have another um, opinion about it. And it's, it's really been, you know, for me, it was a healing journey in a can and has been. And mm-hmm. when we were on back order, I was on back order, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And it was uh, a couple months of, of missing that key piece. And I, yeah. I really, I, I do believe in making it easy, you know, and having it as close to food-like as possible exactly. is and easily absorbable as possible is so key. So, yeah, exactly. thank you for sharing yes. that. Yes, absolutely. And we shared it with people at my my most recent live event, and they loved it. They were just, like, thrilled with it. And I, you know, I had somebody visit me for a day for um, a special coaching day recently, and she was saying how she ran out of I'm like, here, take a bunch of these Mighty Makas and take that on the road. She goes, yeah, I didn't think about doing that, because I didn't want to put the big can in my suitcase. I'm like, no, just take a whole bunch of these little ones and carry them with you, and, and you've got instant food at the airport. People look at you like you're a little weird, like, look at that green stuff you're doing. But it gives you an opportunity to share. <laughs> Exactly. We we have, um, you know, our new gluten-free, dairy-free formula, and we will be coming out with the same packets um, very soon. So uh, stay tuned for that, too. Thank you. So speaking of leafy greens, that's really key for our, our fatigue-fighting uh, yeah. nutrition. Absolutely. 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 I mean, they don't give a lot of calories. But they give you the minerals, they give you the chlorophyll, they give you the phytonutrients, the antioxidants, the protective. And I'll tell you an interesting story about food and, and my experience. When I had little kids, and they, were, they didn't sleep through the night, as we discussed earlier, and I had like a toddler and a baby, and I would find my lunch half eaten because I had to jump up. and So I would get really hungry, and I would think, well, I need calories. So I'd load up on some almond butter or some almonds or, or you know, some healthy crackers or whatever. And I would just get hungrier and hungrier and hungrier the more food I put in. And I remember one day doing that and going, you know, I haven't had any vegetables yet. I just haven't had any vegetables. I don't have time to eat a salad, but I steamed up some broccoli, big pot of broccoli, and I just ate that. And the cravings went away. You know, 50 calories worth of broccoli, and the cravings went away after having eaten, like, 600 calories of other food. Nice. The nice. body was craving nutrition. 
Yeah, exactly. So the body will crave what it needs, and it's, it, sometimes it's needing energy. So we think, okay, quick fix, let's put the sugar in, and yeah. that just creates the downward spiral. Exactly. So you ever notice, you know, how many chicken breasts can you eat versus how many slices of pizza? <laughs> yeah, right. You don't need very much, right? So when you right. when you take something like that maca, right? That wasn't around back in <laughs> when my kids were little, but if you were take something like that where you're you're a busy mom, you're trying to deal with these kids, and you can just give yourself some of these portable green foods as nothing else. Boy, that can raise your energy dramatically, and it's very little calories. So it's not the right. calories that your body's craving; it's that blend of nutrients, and it's usually a blend of of some carbohydrate, a little bit of, of whole carbohydrate, like from the vegetables, not like a, a fast metabolizing carbohydrate, because vegetables contain carbohydrate, and the fat and the protein and the balance. And I think greens have that, except for the fat. They don't have the fat, but that's the dressing you put on them. So the, um, but you, uh, they have everything except fat, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, getting fat, like right now we're in oyster season down here in the southeast, and I can't, that's oyster is like my favorite food for nutrient-dense, calorie-poor, uh, <laughs> um, fantastic food with so many nutrients. I don't know, do you eat oysters? You're a vegan. No, I don't. I don't eat any fish. I'm, I'm a little nervous about the, the fi- I know there's some clean sources, but I just, I just, I eat low on the food chain. So I don't have to worry mm-hmm. about the, the bioaccumulations. Mm-hmm. So what, what's a, a day in the life? What's a day in your life look like? And I know we're running out of time, and I want to get to um, your program that we want to offer our, our listeners. So um, let, let's talk about the program uh, that you have, your Bye Bye Before program, and um, our yeah. listeners can get that at the website. Um, Dr. Rita Marie, so D-R-R-I-T-A Marie dot com forward slash go forward slash, um, what was that? B4 Quebec, B4, the number, the letter B, the number for Quebec. There we go. Okay, Dr. Marie, Dr. Rita Marie dot com forward slash go forward slash B4 Quebec. Yeah, and, and what that um, is, is the B4 that. stands for belly fat, brain fog, burnout, and blood sugar imbalance. Love it. And those are, you know, those are the critical things that we're here to balance. And so that, that, that program is a free program of five videos and then an hour-long um, webinar. So they're short little videos that introduce the different concepts of the belly fat and how you control it and the hormones and the different things. And then the webinar takes it all and puts it into a system, like you can do this. Like you can do step-by-step. It gives you everything that you need to do it. And what I find is that a lot of people, they go, yeah, I have everything I need, but I really need you, or I need the support of a group, and I need to to take it. So then if you want to join us for a group, then you can join us as a, you know, get the full program, which takes you step-by-step and gives you all the resources, all the recipes, 250-page recipe guide, a 30-day menu plan and all that. And then there's an invitation if you wanted to go further with that, and we'll be doing that live in January. So that's but but right now it's a great way to get started because it's great set of videos. It's a great set of videos and it's also a great um, the, uh, the webinar is just jam packed with information. 
Yeah, that's fantastic because we really want to address those key areas. And I love that it's belly fat, brain fog, and burnout. I mean, you know, at some point or other, we're going to address that and how it ties into, um, you know, the key areas that we need to address in our lifestyle. And Absolutely. I want to encourage our listeners, Dr. Rita Marie is an excellent resource. As you can see, she's a fantastic teacher. And so I encourage you uh, to go there to drritamarie.com forward slash go forward slash before Quebeca and um, check out that program. Now, Dr. Rita Marie, tell us a, a day in your life. What is a key <laughs> day in your life? So um, when I get up, I mean, the first thing I do before I get out of bed is I do some appreciation. I do breathing and appreciation, and I set my intention for the day. Like, this is going to be an awesome day, and I'm going to, how I'm going to feel that day. It may not be what I'm going to do, because that can bog you down. And, but it's like, how am I going to feel? I'm going to feel excited. I'm going to help people. I'm going to be productive. And I just breathe into that and, and, and fill myself with appreciation. I like to tell people to get out of bed. Before you get out of bed, find three things to appreciate, because it really helps mm-hmm. to start your day. I have water. I start my day with what we call in my program the um, gut rejuvenator drink. And it's basically water. It can be warmer or, or room temperature. And it's got lemon and it's got a little bit of peppermint oil and lemon oil. And if you want to put a little cayenne in there, you can. And it's basically to start the thing going. So I usually drink about a quart of that before I do any food. And then my food, I usually try to get something within an hour. I'm not always as good, but I teach to get some protein within an hour um, of getting up just to make sure that you offset the, that rise in cortisol and you don't start burning muscle. And I usually have a green smoothie, 32 ounces of green smoothie, and mine doesn't have any fruit in it. I teach recipes to do it with low glycemic sugar fruits in there, but I've found these amazing ways to make it uh, that it doesn't have any fruit. It's all got all these savory herbs and some avocado to make it creamy. Do that. Um, most of the days I'll have a bowl of chia, chia porridge, with some cashew yogurt on it or some blueberries on it or something like that. And that's pretty much the way. Oh, and I put throw hemp seeds and some coconut on that chia as well to give me that extra protein. And that's usually how I start the day. In the smoothie, I may add things like the Mighty Maca. Um, there's other herbs sometimes if I'm feeling like, oh, I'm having a busy day today, I might add some other adrenal adaptogen herbs to that smoothie. So there's a lot of things that I can add. I usually use kelp to that because it gives me all the minerals. And that's pretty much what I do for breakfast. Uh, I like to go at least six hours, four to six hours between meals. It doesn't always happen that way, but that's what I try to do. My lunch will generally be um, either another smoothie, which I love to do that way, or I'll do, say, I'll, I'll take some celery and some red bell peppers, and I'll make a really cool dip. I have a ton of recipes for the dips in my in my 250-page low glycemic recipe guide. Um, so I love to do that, and I just love to, because I like to eat at my desk. It's not a good thing to do. I don't advise it, but if you're busy, you can just have something where you can eat that way. Really, the best way to eat is to sit down and do some breathing, appreciation, and just focus on your food. Not always, you know, we have to look at practical as well. So my typical way, um, I will admit, is I eat at my desk and I'll be dipping my vegetables in my dip, maybe some guacamole or hummus or things like that. And then dinner, I love a ton of veggies. And so I may have a big salad. Um, I may have what I call the big bowl, where especially in the winter, I'll steam up a bunch of veggies and pour them over some arugula and tender leafy greens and make a, a broth, um, make it a Thai 
soup or something like that. So a soup, a salad, something that has a lot of veggies in it and then some good good fat. Um, and that's basically my day. I love it. I love it. So I, I thank you so much for uh, being here with us. And I think those are really key points. I love learning what my experts do in their day. I always pick up some great tips. And so I would definitely say a Vita Pure lifestyle tip is to start our day with a high protein meal within an hour of, within an hour of waking up. And yep. so, um, and then I love that you also start with writing down three things that you're grateful for. And you, you pace yourself during the day too, which I noticed in uh, what you shared with us. And and I think that's really good. There's no race, right? We no. need to establish what our own biorhythm is, what our own pace is, right. and then um, getting a good night's sleep. So I, I want to thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom with us. It's been a blessing to have you here with us. And, again, I'll encourage our listeners to uh, check out your um, B4 program and uh, work on fighting the belly fat, brain fog, and burnout epidemic. So excited about that. So go to drritamarie.com forward slash go forward slash before Quebec. And uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a joy. Enjoy. Thanks to all our listeners. You can get our uh, podcast on iTunes. So listen in and share this with your friends. They will be forever grateful. Thank you all.